Welcome to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with experts and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Colleen Hull, Vice President of Clinical Integration and Population Health at Atrium Health, about how the hospital-at-home care model contributes to value-based care and better patient outcomes. Colleen, in our last episode, we left off talking about holistic patient care in the home. Having cared for several elderly family members myself, I've seen the difference that it made for them to be in a familiar surrounding versus being in the hospital. I guess home is where the heart is, right? Yes. Would you share with us the hospital at home scope of services being provided? So essentially anything you could receive in a brick and mortar facility, we can do in your home. Short of an invasive procedure or surgery, obviously we don't do that, and advanced imaging like MRI and CT scan. Although that technology exists, we're not we're not quite that, there yet. But you can get pretty much any medical nursing intervention that you would get in a hospital, respiratory treatments, oxygen therapy, wound care, IV fluids, IV antibiotics, um, chest x-ray, ultrasound. I mean, though, that's mostly what you go to a hospital for. Um, obviously, your medications, we provide, all of that is provided by 24-7 virtual nursing team. Um, that patient can hit a button and have my nurse pop up on a screen just like a call bell in a hospital. They also get um, two visits by our community paramedicine or mobile integrated health team. You might hear it called both things. They're in the home twice daily for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour twice daily. Um, That is absolutely more time than you've got a clinician in your hospital room. You also have a daily virtual visit with a provider who is on camera real time doing an assessment while the paramedic is in the home. We've got electronic stethoscope. They could listen to your heart and lungs. They write orders and then our nursing and community paramedic team carry out those orders. Um, We also have, just like in a a hospital, pharmacy, care managers, social work, respiratory therapy, physical therapy, oxygen or uh, occupational therapy, behavioral health, chaplains, all of those things, mostly provided virtually which we've learned how to do now after three years of COVID. Um, The other in-home service sometimes is our therapists, our physical therapy and occupational therapists. But a good bit of their work is done just literally on camera in a virtual visit. So it's it's hospital-level care delivered in the safety and comfort of a person's I didn't realize that it was such a comprehensive program. That's, That's pretty amazing that the capabilities for that are there. Um, I think that's definitely a good thing. And can you tell me how um, this model enhances value-based care and what is the typical savings here? So the the purest definition I know of value is the same or better quality at a lower cost. I mean, that's maybe oversimplified, but Hospital Home actually does that. Our ED visit, readmissions, mortality, 
All of those are lower than brick and mortar and our patient experience is higher, significantly higher. Um, not surprising probably, right? But when you have the opportunity to actually go where patients actually live, you can address some of those issues that are causing this repeat readmission. When we go to the home and we look in their pillbox and it's empty, or there's no food in their refrigerator, or it's 100 degrees and their air conditioner is broken, you can hopefully address some of those things. Um, Cost-wise, significantly less costly. Um, and there's research out there, Mount Sinai's published, several have. It's estimated 20 to 30% and maybe more less costly than brick and mortar hospitalization. So again, if you think about the drive to value, how do you deliver the same or better outcomes at a lower cost? This is certainly that. You also, just by being in a physical facility, utilization tends to be higher. For example, you're in the hospital bed and you need a chest x-ray. Oh, but while you're here, we might as well do that CT scan. And we might as well run that other panel of labs while you're here. You can see how costs will escalate because of the availability of services. And that's a that's a gray line. One could say, well, they really need all of this. Maybe, <laughs> but if we can deliver the same outcomes and not do all that stuff, it, it it's probably the right thing to do. That's definitely a cost savings. You know, in, in value-based care, we talk a lot about the triple aim, and that's moved into the quadruple aim. Quadruple aim. How have you seen, if at all, with that fourth quadrant being provider burnout, have you seen any movement in the provider satisfaction with the hospital at home program? I believe we absolutely have. I've got six provider FTEs designated for this program. So this is all they do. They they provide this care. And they all came out of traditional hospital medicine within our health system. And they love hospital medicine. But, you know, just being up on a nursing unit in a hospital, it's noisy and it's distracting and it's it's a it's a uh, wheel. I mean, they're just constantly running. It, they're very busy in our program. They care for as many patients as they do in the hospital. They round, if you will, on anywhere from 14 to 16 patients each every day. But they find that they've got more time to focus and spend with the patient. And also the nurse and the paramedic are in the home when they are doing that virtual visit. So it really feels multidisciplinary and they're able to see the patient in their own environment. So they make a better assessment and a better plan of care. One of the most compelling um, examples of this, we also are an academic health system. So we've sent some, or the, by their selection, some residents through our family medicine program, residency have come through as, a, as an elective in their coursework. And one of them wrote the most beautiful letter about her experience actually caring for patients in their home. And she called it a sacred trust. She said, it's, it's so true. It's true of home health nurses and anyone who has the privilege of delivering care in the patient's environment, it's a complete power shift. In a hospital, we put you in our gown, in our bed, and we tell you when you're gonna eat and sleep and bathe. But in the home environment, 
there is a power shift to where the patient's in charge as they should be. So the physicians that we, and, and we use some APPs, I think that's gonna be even more in the future. They love this model of care because like me, they learned about holistic care in medical school and rarely have a chance to practice it in our traditional care settings. That's powerful. I guess the patients are better off in this setting, in your in your mind, and I, I tend to agree. Do you have a, a story that you can share where hospital at home impacted a patient? Yeah, I have a lot. <laughs> um, we have our quantified data that comes from our patient experience surveys. So that's scored. But the best stuff comes from our anecdotal letters or comments within there. So we have countless stories from the patients themselves, from family members, even from neighbors who who said, you know, we were so scared with our neighbor, how sick they were, but it was so comforting to see the atrium vehicle pull up in their driveway because we knew, oh, they're getting what they need today. Um, and many patients, particularly more elderly, fragile patients have had very negative experiences in hospitals to where they didn't do well and did so much better at home. A recent example, and I think I did share this on our recent um, Move to Value Summit, but it was an elderly couple. The wife had pretty advanced Alzheimer's, but the daughter wrote us a letter um, thanking us. Both parents had COVID. So if you remember early COVID, you were isolated, family could not visit, and many patients died alone, which I think is the greatest tragedy of the whole thing. But here was a couple with COVID, the, the husband had had very bad experiences with delirium and confusion in the hospital in the past, but they were able to be at home. The daughter was able to visit them in their home. They had their pets, which is a huge part of healing, honestly. Um, able to be at home. So the husband recovered and did well and was back to gardening and enjoying his life in the summertime. The wife did pass away, but she was able to be there with her family when that happened. So I've told that story a zillion times because it really pulls together the whole sense of community and family and and dying alone. And, and so that should never happen. Um, I, I just... You know, it's not perfect. We're still learning and iterating on this model. But if you just go from the basic principles of value-based care, holistic care, lower cost care, and better outcomes, I know this is the best thing since sliced bread to do that in healthcare. So I'm excited to kind of see where this goes over the next few years. I wish this had happened when I was in my 30s and I'd have more of a runway to see it through. But um I think we're on to something here. The last thing I'll mention is partnering with community agencies. So when we go in and we see the issues that are keeping patients from living the best life they can, despite poverty, despite chronic conditions, we can actually do something about it. So we are partnering with some community agencies around food insecurity that extends past their hospital stay, frankly, to make sure they can continue to do well nutritionally and also safe housing. So where we identify a leaking roof or unsafe stairwell, or they need a shower bar, we can work with some community agencies to get those things put in to avoid the falls, to avoid, you know, the diabetic who 
isn't eating appropriately. All of those things help patients live their best life and frankly, put our money where our mouth is. If we, if we say we believe in health equity and lowering the cost of care and we believe in access, then we have to do it differently than the way we built it half a century ago. I like that. What's the plan going forward? So as I mentioned, we are currently running a census around 30. Our next um, milestone is 50, which is just around the corner. I hope by year's end we're at 75 or perhaps even 100 patients on service. Again, from a operational administrative perspective, our whole reason for being is still largely capacity management. Our hospitals remain beyond full, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, particularly as our community continues to grow um, at about 100, 100 people a day, I think, or something crazy. We do also, though, believe that this is transformative care, which, again, in the drive to value, that's what we're supposed to be building toward. So I do think, much like Mass General Brigham's is planning, this could be 200 plus. If you think of 20% of your market beds, it could approach 500. So um, to be seen and determined, I don't know, but I know we're not stopping here. We didn't talk about payment models, but a lot of this is contingent on what CMS decides to do at the end of the two-year CMS waiver extension. So Medicare will be covered at full inpatient DRG through the end of 2024. We still have to work within our state licensure and CON restrictions to figure out what this means, because quite frankly, they don't know either. And then payers are coming along with covering this service. Again, I would say they need to put their money where their mouth is and work with us to deliver care differently and better. So all of that legislative and payment work is is still underway and, and it's a pretty heavy lift. But we decided as a health system, we're doing this regardless of the payment model because it's the right thing to do. I couldn't agree more. And I look forward to checking back in with you in the near future and seeing how things are going, if you would be so kind as to join us again to talk more about this program. I think this is outstanding work that you're doing. I would be more than thrilled to come back. Hopefully I've got even more wonderful stories to tell. Well, you've been a delight. Colleen Hole, thank you for joining us today on the Move to Value podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions, where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.